Thanks so much for joining me for Life with Jerry Williams, the podcast. In this episode, I share a story that my daughter just will not let me live down. I'm going to talk a little bit about the eternal struggle between light and dark and good and evil. And we'll also get another exciting episode from the Curmudgeon Files. All that is coming up on Life with Jerry Williams. And now another exciting case from the curmudgeon files. It annoys me when people, especially people who should know better, use the word I when they should use the word me. They almost always make that mistake when they're referring to themselves and someone else. Like in the sentence, Jimmy told Bob and I that he was out of money. Now, if Jimmy had only told the speaker of this sentence, there probably wouldn't be any problem. Hardly anyone would say, Jimmy told I that he was out of money. Obviously, it is obvious to you, right? Both sentences should use the word me instead of I. So why the problem when the speaker refers to himself and someone else? Well, my guess is that somewhere around the third grade, a teacher was having problems getting students to grasp the difference between subjective pronouns and objective pronouns. In this case, the first person subjective, the subject of the sentence or the one doing something, is I. And the first person objective, the object of the sentence or the one having something done to them, is me. So in our example sentence, Jimmy is the subject meaning that the speaker and Bob are both objects. But that teacher in the third grade grew tired of hearing sentences like, me and Bob talk to Jimmy about money. In that sentence, the speaker and Bob are the subject, so the pronoun should be I. I talk to Jimmy about money. To correct that and instill some sense of selflessness in our student, the teacher probably said something like, it's always Bob and I, never me and Bob. Always put the other person's name first. A simple rule that fails to explain the difference between the subjective and objective cases and has given rise to even the most educated public speakers getting it wrong. There is an amazing symmetry in the Bible. One of my favorite examples of that is how the author of Genesis and the Apostle John each begin their respective accounts. In the beginning. Good place to start the beginning. And each writer jumps right in to deal with a theme that has fascinated us since the beginning. Light and dark. Good and evil. Life and death. That theme has been at the core of some of our finest works of fiction, from the earliest stories told around campfires to today's multi-million dollar special effects-laden blockbuster movies. And it's a theme we each deal with in our own lives, the choice between light and dark, good and evil. The author of Genesis hints at an outcome, God calling the light good and separating the light from darkness. John's foreshadowing is a little heavier-handed. The light springs from the life that resides in the Word. And later in the account, John equates that light with the Word. In verse 5, John gives us a big hint as to how this whole light versus dark thing is going to end. The darkness did not comprehend it, the light. 
The Greek word translated here as comprehend is katalambano. It can mean both understand and overpower or seize or master. In these few verses, we have the setting for the ultimate story of light and dark, good and evil. And we get an inkling of how it will be resolved. The light will not be understood or overtaken by the dark. And yet there are those who prefer the dark. Jesus discussed this with Nicodemus, who ironically chose to visit Jesus under the cover of darkness. Jesus explained that men who do evil, which would be just about everyone ever born, prefer the darkness so that their deeds will not be exposed. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read of Jesus passing this light on to us as he declares us to be the light of the world and warns us against trying to hide that light. Instead, he instructs we are to let that light shine in such a way as to demonstrate our good works so that God will be glorified. If you're a parent, especially a parent of an adult child, you probably have had things thrown back in your face from that child's childhood. Things you did or allegedly did that this child will never let you forget. I know I have that going on with both of my kids. And I was reminded of one such story just the other day when I saw a co-worker go to the refrigerator, take out his lunch bag, open it up, and pull out a drumstick of chicken. I said, is that a cold drumstick of chicken? And they said, yes, it is. I said, are you going to eat that cold? And they said, yes, I am. And I said, would you please immediately go tell my daughter that you're about to eat cold chicken? See, when Kelsey was in the second or third grade, I was at home during the day and my wife was working, so I was responsible for packing lunches for school. Well, one day, I sent her to school with a chicken drumstick, cold. She refused to eat it. She came home crying because she was starving to death and dropped a dime on me to my wife that I had sent her to school with a cold drumstick. I don't get it. I eat that all the time. For some reason, my daughter just can't swallow cold chicken. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Life with Jerry Williams. Thank you so much for allowing me to take a couple of minutes of your time today. Coming up on the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how to be happy and how happy people seem to share some of the same basic qualities like fellowship and forgiveness and perspective, contentment, generosity. That's coming up next time. I hope you will subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review and all those other things that, you know, podcast people ask you to do on a regular basis. And again, thank you so much for listening to Life with Jerry Williams.